Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, and the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. O mountains of Gilboa, may you have no dew or rain, no fields yielding offerings of grain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, no longer anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not retreat, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and delightful in life, were not divided in death. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and luxury, who decked your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were delightful to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. I'm Chris. And I'm Tim. And this is a Deconstruction Series. Welcome to the Always More podcast, where we believe there is always more room at the table for honest questions, meaningful conversations, and deeper understanding. Today, we're continuing our Deconstruction Series. If you haven't listened to our last three episodes, you probably should. Just maybe. Um, Also, maybe a little bit further back than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, if you just want to go back and start from episode one, listen to all of them, <laughs> and then come back to this moment, yeah, yeah. that would probably be a good idea. Though, to be fair, episode one does talk about, we talk about toxic masculinity, so it actually really does apply to this episode. It matches. It, it matches. Does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we just say that just because, you know, as we shared in our first episode, one of the greatest influences of deconstruction was listening to other people's stories. When we listen and seek to understand, we often disarm ourselves and genuinely search for the truth of the matter. And might I add, ironically, considering last week's episode, uh, when <laughs> listening out of order, you might hear some things that are out of context. Yeah. <laughs> so take a second, listen to at least the first few episodes of the Deconstruction series, which are titled so you can find them easily. Yeah. Um, and we'll come back to this episode. And then trigger warning for today's episode, um, just because I don't think we've done a trigger warning and we probably should have. On deconstruction? Yeah. It can be a very triggering topic. Uh, But this one in particular is going to be a little triggering for a lot of people. So we want to let you guys know up front on today's deconstruction journey, we are going to be talking about two very heavily debated topics for deconstruction. um, And that is the LGBTQIA plus community as well as purity culture. Um, So we will be mentioning sex as well as abuse, controversial topics. So if you have small children... Um, just prepare them for the real world. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but seriously, this this can be a little triggering. We'll try yeah. to keep it light, as light as possible on these topics, but it can be triggering, so just be ready for it. And also, it's 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 a serious thing, too, because it's 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 affected people. It's It's been serious to many people, and, yeah. and I think this is one of the, um, and we'll kind of talk about race and American nationalism in a few episodes later, but... Uh, this is one of those episodes that has been an easy tool, an easy weapon for the church to use against a group of people. Oh, for sure. Um, and so it, it's going to get a little serious. It's going to get a tad bit serious. But let's uh, let's dive in. I think we'll start with some statistics. All right, let's do it. Um, all right, so according to Jocelyn, Jace, Jocelyn Garcia at NPR, Jacqueline. quote, 
Jacqueline? Jacqueline. How do you know? Based on the spelling. Okay. <laughs> Quote, support for same-sex marriage in the U.S. has reached an all-time high of 70%, according to a poll released by Gallup on Tuesday. I'll, again, I'll put this in the show notes. Love those Gallup polls. The percentage, the highest since the organization began uh, recording this trend in 1996, makes a 10% e- increase since 2015, the same year the U.S. Supreme Court ruled all states must recognize same-sex marriages. The rise in support stems largely from a majority of Republicans who, for the first time, approve of same-sex marriage at 55%, according to Gallup, end quote. So this is, um, I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, because obviously Democrats have, what? No, I was oh, it's celebrating? celebrating? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, Democrats, their, their, their views, yeah. obviously, they're already high, and they slowly increase. But for Republicans, a 10% increase in five years, that's a that's a pretty big Especially jump. Especially on a topic that is like that, like right. LGBT, abortion, like those are real hot-button issues for Republicans to be against. Yeah. And just seeing that massive increase, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, what's the other one? According to the American Values Survey in 2020, white evangelical Protestants stand out as the only major religious group in which a majority opposes allowing gay and lesbian couples to marry. Uh, 34% favor, 63% oppose. I guess the rest is undecided. I guess. Because that math doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Majorities in every other major religious group support marriage equality, including 90% of all religiously unaffiliated Americans, 79% of white mainland Protestants, 78% of Hispanic Catholics, 72% of members of non-Christian religious groups, 68% of Hispanic Protestants, 67% of white Catholics, 57% of black Protestants, and 56% of members of other Christian religious groups. Does that include cults? I, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> Would you know, like, if they if you were in a cult, but you didn't know you were in a cult, and they interviewed you, and then they were like, all right, we're going to put you down for others. <laughs> like, I, I, am, I would imagine they don't do that in front of them. Right, right. Or they're just like, okay, you're for it. Other. Right over there. <laughs> um, but that stat is pretty, pretty remarkable to look at, just com- considering the favor between you know, white evangelical Protestants, and then everybody else. Like literally everybody else. Literally everybody else. That's insane. Uh, All right, and lastly, a report from the UCLA School of Law, quote, nearly half, 47% of LGBT LGBT adults in the U.S. are religious, in quotes. Which is great, I guess. Well, I think it just shines a light on the, the stereotype that if you're gay or if you're in the LGBT community that you are on the other side of the spectrum yeah like and you're you're here to destroy churches and yeah burn villages to the ground you're an atheist or do everything evil right all the time and it's not that simple it's not that clean and it's just you know it might look different from your religion or your how you practice the faith but we, there's still like we've mentioned in the past few episodes there's some level of faith from people who are deconstructing and people who are on the side of the spectrum so right. yeah all right. Um, so, same as all the previous episodes, let's go ahead and establish some ground rules. Um, yep. Which I, I guess really aren't rules. No. But no, not a, today. A basis really. for understanding. How about that? We'll yeah. start with that. Um, I think we should probably start by defining a few things because I don't think all of our listeners know most of the terms. No, and I'll be completely one hundred percent honest with you. I knew most, but not all. 
um, just going into this yeah, series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, that I'll take the, I'll take the, um, the, the, not the shame, but I'll take the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the guilt. Ownership over that. Uh, just not knowing ahead of time. But, um, so let's talk about LGBTQIA+. And let's talk about these different definitions, these different terms that you may not know because I didn't know. Um, so, like CRT, many like to criticize the platform or people supporting the subject without actually knowing anything about it. Yeah. Um, I most definitely have in the past. According to Outright Action um, International, here are some definitions to the terms that uh, are in the LGBTQIA. Umbrella. Umbrella, thank you. <laughs> um, first one up, lesbian um, is a woman who is sexually and or emotionally attracted to other women. Um, next, gay, a man who is sexually and or emotionally attracted to other men. Chris? Uh, the next one for the LGB, the B in LGBTQ, is bisexual. Uh, someone who is sexually and or emotionally attracted to more than one gender. Then you have transgender, uh, which is used to describe any person who has a gender identity that is different from the gender that they were assigned at birth. Then you have queer. Uh, queer is often used as an overlapping term to describe anyone who is not straight and not cisgender. Uh, cisgender people are people whose gender identity and expression match the sex they were assigned at birth. And queer used to be a slur, but they are taking it back. Yeah, yeah. So it's, be careful how you use it. Right. Um, but you will hear a lot of LGBTQ people using that to describe themselves and others around them. Yeah. Um, all right, so the I uh, is for intersex. This term refers to people who naturally have biological traits, such as hormonal levels of genitalia that do not match what is typically identified as male or female. We'll actually talk more about this later. Um, asexual uh, is often refers to as an ace. Uh, this is an umbrella term used for individuals who do not experience or experience at low levels of sexual desire. This identity can include those who are interested in having romantic relationships and those who are not. People of different sexual orientations and gender identities can be asexual. All right. Uh, next up on the list was pansexual. Often referred to as pan, this is a term used to describe a person who is sexually, romantically, and or emotionally attracted to people regardless of their sex or gender identity. Then you have demisexual, which often refers to as demi. Uh, this is a term used to describe someone who can only experience sexual attraction after an emotional bond has been formed. This bond does not have to be romantic in nature. Um, and that is, uh, you'll obviously see a lot of overlap in some of these terms here um, yeah. between demi and pan and bi or whatever you want to say. Um, Non-binary refers to people whose gender identity falls outside of the gender binary. So either man, ma uh, sorry, male man, female woman, um, and was coined as a descriptive term used to describe experiences that fall out of the binary gender model with undergirds, which undergirds, sorry, much of society. So... They, them, that's yeah. typically what people think of initially when they see the non-binary label. Right. Which I'm, you know, kind of reading over this and just, like, you know, studying and researching for this episode. I'm kind of actually, um, I don't know if I would classify myself, but I just really like non-binary. I, I like that concept. I, I really, because we'll talk about gender roles in a few minutes, but it just, to me, it's like, what's the point of... um I don't know. We, we, we there's been so much harm in the gender roles and what we've done with those, and so 
Um, I really respect the people who identify as non-binary. Yeah. Um, so before we continue on, um, I can hear as I was writing this out, uh, if you've listened this far, thus far in the series, uh, I can imagine some might feel like we're pushing an agenda. Like you can imagine at this point in the series, some might be thinking they're just speaking leftist talking points. Again, the whole point of this series, and I'm going to, again, I think you said this last time, but we're just going to keep repeating this because we oh, want to yeah. make sure our intentions are clear here is we're not trying to convince anyone of any of what we say. Half the time, we're still discovering it on our, you know, for ourselves. But secondly, we know that it doesn't work. <laughs> trying to convince people over the internet usually doesn't work. I mean, most of the time, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's on TikTok, it doesn't matter. Trying to convince someone of something on the, the internet just doesn't work. And so that's not our goal here. Our goal is to allow people to see the why behind our stances, to connect with those who like, who are like, you know, how like we were, they were intrigued, looking for answers to, for their questions. And so um, you'll hear a story later in the show that it will kind of connect with people who have gone through similar journeys. Um, so if it feels like we're just speaking out about leftist or liberal stances, it kind of just so happens that a lot of our deconstruction has landed us on this side of the political spectrum. But Which in retrospect and zooming out to like a global oh. viewpoint is probably just like centrist, but you know, it is what it is. True. Um, also though, one other thing, we're obviously, you know, we are not specifically set as hardcore members of the LGBTQIA plus community. Right. And I don't want us to come off as, like, the white man talking about yeah. black women's struggles. Yeah, 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 like, absolutely. this is merely to add our voice to the chorus. Uh, there are plenty of other creators out there who actually are LGBTQ themselves, and you can follow them, learn about their stories, learn way more from them than you could from us. Yeah. Uh, we will be adding them to our resources. Oh, the, absolutely. The for sure. Yeah. Uh, but we just wanted to kind of show our perspective on the issues that this community faces. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. We, we are, we have a very limited perspective on this and yeah. we, we acknowledge that and we know that this is not our story. This is things that we have seen, things we've observed and things that we want to make clear that we stand by and stand for. Yeah. Um, but we're by no means, um, you know, um, we, we don't want to take that, that role. That was a, that was a great point, Chris. Thank you. Um, and I also wanted to address possible thoughts I've heard from pastors and Christians like myself in the past. This whole series, especially the episode on the church, is not us being unforgiving and having ill will or bitterness towards others in our past. Just, I mean... Mostly. Just, mostly. <laughs> this is about, again, helping those who have gone through similar journeys to feel heard. That, that's, that's where we're coming from. It, yeah. it, it, if you come at this, especially if you listen to the second episode, you can come at this and go, oh, he was talking about this person. He was just holding on to this. Like, no, homie, I, I, I kind of forgave that person a while ago because yeah, it, it was consuming me. It's not worth holding on to the no. anger and the bitterness <laughs> against these individual people. Yeah. But it is worth standing up for the people that are currently being hurt by these situations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which brings me to my last point. I will not tolerate hate for the LGBTQIA plus community. Absolutely. Don't come into our comments and start bashing these human beings who just want nothing more than to live in love. Like, these are people. They're not talking points. Right. I will not stand for hate. I will throw hands with anybody. Yeah. I will protect them with my life because that's baby. Yeah. 
I don't know if you've seen that that guy on TikTok. It's like <laughs> yeah. animated characters that I would protect with my life because that's baby. <laughs> For me, LGBTQ community, that's baby. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we look we're we're all for healthy conversations and even, you know, arguments or having differences. But when it comes to um talking ill about other people, sharing hate, sharing uh, discrimination, we're not for it. We yeah. we will automatically delete those comments. I don't care who it's from. Yeah. Um so yeah, guys, that's our first ha- uh, first little part of this episode. And when we come back, we're going to dive into purity culture and the LGBTQIA community. So we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back. Back, 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 back. So I want to take a quick moment. I was trying to decide if I was going to mention this or not, only because it might distract you, but I also figured it's going to distract you anyways. But um, you might hear my voice is kind of weird or different. It's because allergies have decided to attack me this week, this weekend, like intensely. And so... Like Spartan soldiers in the past of Thermopylae. Dude, that's what it feels like in the middle of my nasal cavity. Like, just like Thermopylae. Hold. <laughs> Hold. <laughs> So I apologize if you hear sniffling or, you know, me sounding like Darth Vader or Gollum or I don't know. Just bear in mind, anything you guys hear through these microphones, I have to hear in person. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much worse. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) All right, guys. Um, Let's get started. So when discussing what episodes to talk about in this series, when we were planning this all out, we knew that we wanted to talk about the LGBTQIA plus um, impurity culture because this is also another reason why we're going to talk about it is because it's such a major part of the American evangelical church story, right? which we have been a part of. Yes. So um, I, Tim, personally have taught traditional beliefs about the topic, and there are personally many things I regret not only being a part of, but have been responsible for teaching. And, um, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that about my past. Again, starting this episode off in the correct way requires an apology from both of us, I think. Yeah. Um, we are sorry for our participation in that stuff in the past. Absolutely. It was wrong. We know that now. And we can't go back and change that, but we are definitely going to try to be vocal proponents for the changes now. Um, but we are going to start first and foremost with purity culture, right? Uh, which again is another topic that doesn't hyper affect us. It definitely affects another group of people more than us. I feel like the immediate harm affected women more, but I think it affected us as men and therefore made it worse for women. If that makes sense. Like, because we were a part of that culture, men being taught certain things, we reinforced the the culture and the and the teachings of that culture. Yeah. And so it, it, it harmed it harmed all of us, but it directly harmed women first and more severely. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So like I imagine like a in a cartoon fight, like one cartoon gets punched in the face, runs to hide behind another cartoon character. That cartoon character gets hit and then falls on top of the first cartoon yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's kind of in my head how it goes. Like, we got hit, but not quite as hard. But when we went down, we also hurt right. women as well. Yeah. Um. So that, that can be definitely problematic. 
Yeah. Um, so we're going to start purity culture. Uh, one of the truly and troubling motifs to arise from modern white evangelical Christianity in the 90s and 2000s is purity culture. As broadly an understanding that is an ah, broadly an understanding that in order to be a decent Christian to save American culture and to have good marriages, one must be taught early in life to save themselves from sexual immorality of all kinds and to remain pure before God. Uh, it's a way for really it's it was a way for men to learn how to become powerful husbands and women to become submissive wives. Yes. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. It's patriarchy in a nutshell. <laughs> it is absolutely patriarchy in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, like we talked about before, you know, I remember them splitting up the boys and girls and the boys would go into a room and we would talk about how sexual urges were okay. We just had to hold off for now. Yeah. And women were taught sexual urges are dirty and filthy and they need to repress everything until the second right. they get married and then just be able to do anything and everything that their husbands want. Yeah. In in hindsight, guys, um, or just some background information, we were um, we Chris and I had talked to our wives about possibly being on this episode, like just because obviously we're just two dudes who again haven't experienced everything about purity culture, and we were talking to them like just kind of expressing what we were, might be talking about, and when we started talking about that in particular, about like what we were taught as men, they didn't hear any of that. Yeah, they were very upset. They're like, wait, you were told what? <laughs> it was like none of it was similar. Like they were told, hold your urges, hold everything back, protect men, mm-hmm. and and that was their that was their mission, that was their agenda. Completely opposite from us. Yeah. Um. And so, um, that's a lot of the reason why this this culture. To me, it's more than just one instance. It's more than just, oh, this happened only a few times at summer camp. No, this was a culture that infiltrated the 90s and 2000s American white evangelical church. Yep. It it, it, it was all around. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a book that came out. I didn't actually read it, but I remember hearing all about it and being taught things from it. Um, and that was Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye. So my mom got me this book, and I skimmed it. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, well, this doesn't seem like a good thing it wasn't even theologically like on point it was just so off yeah and i don't even know how to explain it it was just a lot of the things about courting and how to properly date well Which, basically courting is dating i don't care what you yeah. it's just a different way to date yeah. I, I don't care what you believe on that that's they're the same thing it's just weird dating yeah so here's some things that we know that we're kind of taught so for this first part to the men we were taught to be tough and aggressive like, mm-hmm. that was one of the things. Like, as men, you need to be physically aggressive. If you don't have a favorite football team, you're not a man. Right. Yeah, yeah. If, if you, if, God forbid, if you like soccer, oof. Um, another thing that we are taught was that our sexual drive was normal and good to have, but we have to keep it in check until marriage. Um, if we did so, our sex lives in marriage would be the best. The best. Um, is that how you read it? Because that's how I wrote it. <laughs> I was like, eh, let me not say it like that. Yeah. Um, and so our value came from protecting women through violent means if necessary. That's like the number one thing that men like in their heads are like, all right, I'm ready to kill for my wife. Right. Like, bro, you won't even like put the seat down. (laughs) 
but you're ready to murder. Like, why are why are why is that the jump? Like, I, why is that it? I think of that episode from The Office when uh, Andy and Dwight are fighting over Angela, and uh, uh, Andy uh, pins Dwight into the hedge, and he's like, "Come on, fight me, fight me." He goes, "Why? I don't even need to fight you." And he's and he's like, uh, "I'm I'm going to protect Angela." Dwight's like, "I'm going to protect Angela," and Andy's like, "From what, dude?" And Dwight goes, "Bears." Bears, when's the last time you've seen a bear? Last year, you idiot. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's just, guys, I mean, I'm not saying that it's never going to happen where you need to protect your family, but it was so overkill, the the, the overstating of, like, you're going to have to physically protect your wife from whoever, the enemy, liberal, I don't know. That's why, like, <laughs> if you pick any men's retreat— just find an evangelical men's retreat. Oh, yeah. I promise you there is either a gun, an axe, or a bow and arrow. Or a Spartan helmet. Or a, a wrongly uh, depicted Spartan helmet. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all being used for something that could go horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> Let's practice axe throwing, and then we'll shoot bows at the axe once it hits the tree. Here, put this apple on top of your Spartan helmet. Let's see if yeah. we can hit it with the bow. <laughs> the helmet will protect you. Don't worry. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. What if you hit my shoulder or anything lower than that? <laughs> Man up. Helmet. Man up. Rub some dirt in it. Um, another one, another thing that we were taught um, was, or everyone was taught, was the culture of abstinence. Yay. Purity culture. And obviously the, the horrible side effects of all this was only teaching abstinence and like yeah. you can have your belief about abstinence that's fine you do you i don't think it's healthy and i don't think it's right but um I, I think if you're going to teach that then at least teach the other things too yeah sexual education definitely needs to be moved out of that purity culture mindset yeah because teaching abstinence only if it worked would be great right but statistically it just does not work exactly uh, during the whole uh, purity culture push, I know teen pregnancy, STDs, all of that, like, shot through the roof mm-hmm. because contraceptives were not made available. People weren't told anything about it. They were like, hey, don't have sex. Why not? Because it's a sin against God. They didn't tell them, like, any real consequences right. or, like, what could happen. They didn't teach them how to avoid, like, crazy situations where that could happen. Yeah. It, it was it was a problem. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to talk about side effects of purity culture in a moment. But it, w- with what you're saying, a lot of what I read and research was that a lot of uh, people who taught abstinence only education they actually downplayed the teaching of using uh, contraception and condoms yeah. and and downplaying like these different things to put a greater fear on pregnancy and on the fear of you know Im- uh, impurity and so. Uh, which again would lead to more pregnancies and more abortions. Right. You can see, guys, and I can sh- I, I might find the graph and show it to you. But if you look up presidents, uh, uh, presidents throughout like the past fifty years, and you look at the abortion rates within each administration, you will notice that abortions are a lot lower whenever there is a blue president versus when there is a red president. That's Democrat versus Republican. Just in case you're. Yeah. Confused. Yeah. There's a reason for that because policy and this stuff matters. Mm-hmm. The education of these things matter. Yep. We live in Texas, so um, this whole abortion ban thing is very fresh in our minds. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, another thing that was taught was about clothing. Um, essentially, this was mostly 
only for women. I mean, I can't re- really remember being taught that anything that we wore would be temp- tempting for women. I mean, other than like, don't wear speedos. But I mean, who that wore was speedos? just to make them comfortable? <laughs> yeah. It's like, please don't wear a speedo. Like, <laughs> you can do whatever you want within the bounds of the rules, but please don't. Yeah, no. And when we told this to our wives, I, if I remember correctly, it was this. Like, and they're like, "Oh, you guys were never taught about clothing." It's like, no, we. They never mentioned clothing to us. To women, it meant everything. Don't mm-hmm. wear certain clothing because it might tempt boys. Dress codes: you can't wear tank tops unless the strap is at least three finger widths wide and. Uh, you can't wear shorts like four inches above the knee or higher. Like yeah. they have to be at the knee. Yeah. Um, if you have a two-piece bathing suit, you've got to wear a big T-shirt over it, which is insanely dumb. Yeah, I think I said this last last episode, but just to reiterate, uh, women, you are not responsible for other men's lust. You you are not responsible. Am I saying that right? Yeah. You, you are not responsible. Women are not responsible for what other men think about how they dress. It not their problem, not their priority, not their. They have no belonging in that realm yeah. whatsoever. I used to hear a lot of times, well, if you don't want to be treated like a piece of meat, don't dress like one, and blah blah blah. Like, you know, that's super offensive to it say, is. and it's insanely dumb. It's offensive to women because they're they should be allowed to wear whatever they want. Yeah. You're telling them, hey, this is your fault if something happens because you dress like that. It's offensive to men because, well, men can't control themselves. They're just animals, and they go crazy anytime you see a steak. Like, literally nobody in that statement is not being offended. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, obviously, when it comes to purity culture, women's expectations were higher than men. Obviously, like we just mentioned, they had to wear different clothings. Uh, and they, they had to they basically had to perform and act a different way before marriage and then a completely opposite way oh, yeah. post-marriage. No, they're expected to know everything, to do everything, to be open to anything and everything that their yes. husbands want to do. And these girls are taught as young children. Like, they're taught, you know, don't even think about sex. Don't talk yeah. about it. Don't ask questions. Nothing. Just know that it'll be good one day. Like, that's and then they're much it. thrown into these marriages where, you know, if they both waited, neither one of them knows what's going on. Right. They've never had that experience. And you're also telling them, hey, don't watch porn, don't read smut books, don't go to these college courses where they teach you these <laughs> kinds of things. Like, you expect them to have all of the knowledge with none of the teaching. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have, with these, especially Christian marriages within the, from the purity culture, is you have women who, are, who have been repressed from all these different things, but men who have been hyper-masculine, hyper-fed um, you know, to be aggressive, to be the, the dominant force in this. And, and so no wonder marriages have suffered, and no wonder we're kind of the state where we're at when it comes to, to marriages within the church. Um, no, if if you, I keep recommending this because it, to me it's so good. But if you listen to, this is just one example. But if you listen to um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, you will hear like the language that was used for this kind of stuff. Because obviously, not all this stuff was said exactly how we're saying it. But again, because of the culture, the things that were kind of insinuated and things that were kind of respected or shunned, help you know encirculate that culture and help yeah. build that up and to and to enforce those beliefs. And so. One of the things we always yeah. say in my house is impact is always greater than intent. Ooh, that's good. You can mean something one way, like, hey, I just want you to be protected from the crazy world of premarital sex. But if you're saying it in a way that it's like, don't wear this, don't wear that, don't do this, yeah. don't do that, don't, don't look at this, don't look at that, never talk about this, 
you're causing a lot more harm than you're meaning. Yeah. And the caused harm is always more impactful than your intent. Right. So. Yep. Chris, let's talk about side effects. Yeah. Um, so one of the side effects of purity culture being such a huge prominent thing in the world is that there was no scientific or proper sexual education. Right. Essentially, you get to school and they're like, hey, this is a penis, this is a vagina, don't let them touch. <laughs> that's, that's what you get. Yeah. Um, so abstinence-only education just avoids any of the real science behind safe sex, which whether you agree with safe sex as a practice or not is irrelevant. The science is there. Yeah. Um, the other problem, other than teaching abstinence-only doesn't work, like I said earlier, is that much of the curriculum downplayed and lied about the effectiveness of birth control, condoms, and preventing STDs in pregnancy. Right. I remember being told about those things, but I do not remember being told anything beyond how awful they were. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And I, that condoms don't work. I think I remember uh, in middle school being showed a being – wait, we went to the same middle school. Do you mm-hmm. remember a slideshow of being like shown being shown STDs? Yeah, I remember that. Um, but within the church, it was it was so cut dry. Just don't have sex, yep. and and nobody wanted to have the uncomfortable conversations. And here, here's here's my stance on it. like even if you still want to ha- have a abstinence only mindset and belief within your household, fine, do you whatever. But he, here, he, there's a movie that came out. I can't remember which one it is. Um, but it's one of um, Medea, um, Tyler Perry's Medea movies, and in the movie. There's this woman who um, is is she's on the streets in some downtown ghetto, and she is handing out clean needles to to people to right. Meet, usually women prostitutes, but there are other people too. And there was someone who was asking her why she was doing it, like why are you enforcing this behavior? Why are you, why are you condoning it or not condoning? It, but why are you like encouraging it? And she was saying they're going to do this no matter what. They're 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 going to put yeah, something in their bodies. Absolutely, I want to make it as safe as possible, so that way they don't. It doesn't make it worse, and so it's easier for them to get off. It's easier for them to you know to get help to get help to, to be healthy. Yeah, and that's how we kind of how I begin to look at this. It's like, look, I you know we can disagree on whether sex before marriage is right or wrong, but if you don't protect your kids in the most scientifically safe possible way, it can lead to really horrible things. Yeah, sure. Granted. So we need to do things that are going to, one, prevent things like STD. But also, if you really care about abortion, you need to care about this stuff, too, because this actually helps prevent abortions. Yeah. Contraceptives may not work 100 percent of the time. Right. But that is not an excuse to not teach or to not use them. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you. What what was the illustration I was going to say? Uh, if you throw a tennis ball at a tennis net, sure, the ball can get through every now and then. Yeah. But usually it catches it. Yeah. It stops. The ball just stops, and that's the end of it right Right, there right. There. Sometimes it'll go through, sure. But that doesn't mean you never want to use a tennis net when you're playing tennis. Absolutely. So yep. that's that's my view on that. Um, another side effect that it has was furthering the patriarchy, which, again, it— It's as simple as it sounds. Yeah, it— <laughs> It puts women in their place with quotes if you're not actually watching the YouTube version. Yep. I, I did air quotes. Uh, just so, <laughs> Thanks for so clarifying. You know. I had to make sure. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't want that soundbite to be taken out of context. Oh, yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things that, like, it, it doesn't need further explanation. Like, you know exactly what's happening. There. Right. 
And if you don't, you are willfully ignorant. Yeah. Again, the words may not come out of the pastor's mouth. Hey, we're encouraging patriarchy. Kind of like what Chris was saying, the the impact, that's what it created. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. Um, sexual repression. So obviously, again, sex is bad. No sex is good, but... Yeah. It's just back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to... Sexual repression can affect people for decades after an event happens, yeah. whether it's like one traumatic event or an entire culture that's shaping you for the rest of your life. Uh, for personal example, when I got married, I love my wife, absolutely, um, but I still had some like mental blocks mm. to get over before we could get to the healthiest version of ourselves, mm -hmm. sexually expressing is ourselves to each other. Um, just... Sometimes, like, I would just have sex with my wife and then feel dirty about mm. it. Like, we're yeah. married. Like, we're supposed to be doing this. Yeah. But I just, because of this, it affected me for a long time. Right. And I can only imagine how it affected her or how it affects women in general. Because yeah. it's, this is emotional abuse and trauma. That's yeah. what it is. And I, I can hear in my head, as you were saying that, something popped in my head. I could hear some people saying, well, like, well, you just weren't taught the right way. You, you just weren't taught. That's uh, the point. <laughs> well, You're right. I but, wasn't. But it, well, Right. We, as a collective generation, <laughs> were not taught the right way. Like, the, 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 it's not just it being the right way. It's the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, you, okay, I don't want to give it to you anymore. I'm done. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, and then the last thing that we've seen, I'm sure if you're on TikTok, you've definitely seen something about it. This type of culture perpetuates rape culture. Yes. It's the same thing that gave that random guy the boldness to go up to those women just enjoying themselves on a beach day. Yeah. Clothed. They were wearing clothes. Obviously, it was a bikini. It was a two-piece mm -hmm. bathing suit, so it's not as much as that guy would have liked. So he came up and started berating them just for their clothing choice on their day off where they're sitting on a blanket, not bothering anybody. Right. And he said he felt the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, that is not the Holy no. Spirit. That is his own lust taking action in his body, and he doesn't know what to do with it. So right. he goes and tells them how to live their lives. That perpetuates rape culture, though, because it says, oh, you're wearing this, so you wanted this attention. Yeah. You're doing this to yourself. You brought this upon right. yourself. Ugh. And that is a thing that typically only affects women in the very most negative ways. Correct. Yeah. Obviously, it affects men because we are the ones that do those things. Yeah, yeah. But that's not negatively affecting us until we're being held for our own – we're being held accountable for our own actions. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't bother us until we do something about it, and then we get in trouble for it. But women literally at any point in time have to worry about, am I doing this? Am I going to be blamed for it yeah. if this guy attacks me? Yeah. Like, what did I do to bring this upon myself? And it's super harmful. No, women are, in case we didn't make this clear, women are the victims in this culture. They just are. 100%. They... Look, you, you can put out exceptions. You can put out little bits and stories of whatever. I'm sorry, but men don't carry around keys in their fists when they're walking down a street to get back to their car. I've never once downloaded an app that I have to hold down the button until I'm safe Yeah, and then put in a password. I don't carry um, um, pepper spray on my keys. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but we, we have 
we, we have created this culture that, and for you guys that are saying, well, that's secular culture. No, homie, this is, <laughs> this is bigger than that. This is bigger than that. This is a part of a culture that um, pushes male testosterone, male uh, dominance, and we'll kind of get to that later when it comes to actually some of these other topics, but it, it's about men, patriarchy, having control, having power, and using that power over women. And if you don't believe us, look at the statistics that were just released by the Southern Baptist Convention, I think oh, it was, yeah, of yeah. how many uh, pastors and people in positions of power in churches were being accused of rape yep. and sexual assault. Yep. It's an insane amount. And if I'm not mistaken, like 99.9% of them were men. Right. And for my Christian friends out there, my Christian, my Christian guys out there particularly, um, there is a clear passage of scripture that Jesus actually speaks to uh, regarding lustful. Oh, yeah. It was Matthew 5, 6. Something like that. Chris, would you like to kind of like yeah, just generalize if, it? If you find yourself lusting after a woman, pluck. it's better to pluck your own eye out. Yeah. Straight up. Guys, it is our responsibility to not just, 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 just it's not your business. Yeah. It's not your That's business. That's my favorite. Like, my favorite. <laughs> so, one of the things I used to do when I was a youth minister is I would do the hood rat version of the Bible, <laughs> which is basically just like how I imagine yeah. this would go down if it happened today. And somebody was like, yo, Jesus, what should I do about this girl over here? She's wearing a two piece. She's looking real hot. I'm thinking about raping her. And Jesus is like, I don't know. Pluck your eyes out about it or something. <laughs> How about you go gouge your own eyes out instead yeah. of bothering her? Yeah, but I mean, she's. it doesn't matter what she's doing. Go poke your eyes out yeah. and leave her alone. Right. If, it, if, it's, if it's really bothering you that much, go away. Yeah. They have every oh, right. You don't like it? Leave. <laughs> I don't like how that turns around on you, huh? So regarding purity culture, we, we want to just emphasize that in order for it to really pay attention to this, we have to listen to people because like Chris and I, we're just guys. And a lot of these things we didn't know about until years later, yeah. things that we didn't realize, Oh, you were taught this or why did you feel this way? Like even with our wives, like why does this in your mind when it comes to sex or it comes to whatever, um, this doesn't come from our personal experience. Most of it anyways, it comes from listening to people who have been marginalized, who have yeah. not been heard, who have For not sure. had a voice, who have been just dismissed and whose, who's, um, oh, to be completely honest, whose um, testimonies have been shrugged because they're like, oh, they're just women or because it's not, they're not telling the truth. They're exaggerating. Yeah. No, that's that's bullshit. I'm sorry. But <laughs> guys, this this is, especially for us guys who are, who, who this is our opportunity to be, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, this is our, our, our opportunity to listen and to love our neighbor, to listen to those who have had not had a voice concerning purity culture. Right. It has affected an entire generation. It really has. Right. And even if you don't agree with all of our more, what you would consider leftist parts of the spectrum about these things, there is a generation of women who are hurting from these things. Not all of them. Not all of them are vocal about it because they still feel repressed because they still feel too afraid to speak out about it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you guys noticed, like Tim said earlier, we asked our wives to be on this episode with us, and neither of them are. It's not because they're camera shy or anything like that. It's because they are still processing these traumas. Yeah. There, like this would. We'll probably do an episode further down the line after 
we've talked to them and they've been able to get some of their thoughts out. Yeah, if they um, want to. If they want to. But they said, we asked them weeks ago and it wasn't enough time. Right. This is a hard topic to talk about and it still affects them to this day. So make sure you're listening to the people that are telling these stories. Yeah, at, at, the, at the bare minimum. Bare minimum. Bare minimum. Just listen. So vital for us to listen. Let's move on. I th- I, purity culture, we spent about half an hour about it. And if we're going to get through this episode, I think we need to move on. We'll do it. <laughs> but also feel free to comment and ask us questions. Tell us your stories because, again, we want to listen. So we're going to talk about the LGBTQIA plus community. We're going to talk about a few of our thoughts, and um, I felt passionate enough to address it biblically a little bit because just my background and because, I don't know, I feel like people want to fight me. Please do. (laughs) Um, But I'd like to start this conversation uh, around a famous viral video from Ben Shapiro where he argues with a college student about transgenderism and uh, where he asked her, why can't, why can't you identify as 60 years old? Um, so all credit to Ryan Beard. I've, I found his assessment on Tickety Talk, and I really liked it, so I want to summarize it here, but all credit goes to Ryan Beard, which is an awesome name, by the way. I love it. Um, and side note, before I continue, I'm not bringing this up to argue with Ben Shapiro. Obviously, he's not listening. Uh, I bring it up because these are the words that I've used before. Like, his arguments is yeah. the, the words I've used before. So it's just, you know, that, that's why. Um, so in this video, he basically kind of goes on to talk about, someone was asking about transgenderism and, um, and, and why can't we just, you know, call people the way they want to be called. And Ben, sh- ben says that thing, like, well, why can't you identify as 60 if you're 27 or whatever? And so the first issue in this whole debate is the misunderstanding with the terms sex and gender. According to the dictionary, sex is, is a division of a species differentiated by reproductive functions. Gender, on the other hand, is differentiated by social and cultural roles and behaviors. Gender is a, so- a societal construct. Yes. In other words, gender is a social construct around sex. When someone tells you to, quote, be a man, that usually implies sociological meanings such as don't cry, wear blue, be a provider, don't wear a dress. Those are the social things around, quote, be a man, right? Like that, that's what they're meaning by that. So if you're wearing something other than blue or masculine color, they're telling you to be a man. Yeah, they're that, not telling you to grow a penis. Correct. Um, so uh, now here's something to remember. As we learned in the last week's episode – all of these are dependent on the time and location of a culture and have no real, here's where the right love to try to get, get a gotcha moment. There's no scientific basic, basic basis on it. Right. We, we talked about the, the color pink and how it used to be a masculine color until like the 1940s. Um, a lot of things changed in the 40s. Man. <laughs> bad things. Bad things in the 40s. Um, so you can't, while well, you can't change your sex because it's based on their biology, in the same way you can't change your age. But it is a very common, but it's very common to say to like an unruly teenager, quote, you're acting like a teenager. Or you might say to an older man, you're pretty spry for your old age. Um, or one I know that Chris and I have heard a lot in our late teens and early 20s uh, from church leaders is, oh, you have a lot of wisdom of someone who's like much older. Like, remember, you remember hearing stuff like yeah, that, right? all the time. Um, and these all came from an understanding that obviously we're not 50 years old, but we acted 50 years old. We looked, and even with me particularly. I didn't act or look 50. Um, 
I have the wisdom of a 50 year old, sure, but I also had all of the desires of somebody on the jackass team. (laughs) I wanted to ride a shopping cart downhill into a pile of melons. I don't know. And and for this point, I had gray hair. And so people assume. It's like seventh grade. (laughs) People assume that I was a lot older. Now, obviously, we don't have. um, (laughs) I mean, all the time, guys. I would like. There's one time we went to. Chris and I went to a bar. And uh, they were like, uh, hey, man. And we were like 19. It was a restaurant. It wasn't a bar. But we were like 19 or something like that. And they asked us, do we want a drink? And we were like, we could get away with it, but we won't. (laughs) Tim could. I still look 12. Uh, (laughs) So all these examples. uh, of putting societal roles or stereotypes are, are let me start that over. All of these are examples of putting societal roles or stereotypes around age. And while we don't have two separate words to define uh, someone's actual age versus their you know social construct of age, we still use them in everyday speech. Does that make sense? Does all that make sense? Like it, it that, does to me, yeah. So while your age can't change or your biological sex can't change. That doesn't mean that we don't define each other already by differences between those things. We, right. uh, by calling, by telling someone be a man, we are putting that that um, that understanding of societal roles on someone. Yeah. So you're actually behaving in it. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, so let's bring this back to the gender thing, though. So hypothetically, you want to contain gender norms based on biological sex. Yeah. So just just hypothetically speaking, if you want to keep that mindset. So we'll say uh, people often say that there's still only two biological sexes, male, which is XY chromosome, and female, which is XX chromosomes. Uh, but even that is not quite the whole picture because there are crazy variations such yeah. as XXY, X by itself. Um, in fact, there's a group of people in the Dominican Republic known as... Guevedoses? Guevedoses. Doses? I mean, it's 12, right? I think so. Um, where they are born with female genitals, but at puberty grow male parts. Uh, For those of you who have heard the story and still go, yeah, but they have XY chromosomes. They're supposed to be males. That's kind of the point. (laughs) Uh, Physical genitals don't determine gender, or in cases like the guevedoches, even sex. Yeah, this is wild, man. Like Because this is where a lot of the... The, the the right will hinge their argument on. It's like, yeah. you have a penis, therefore you are a guy, you are a dude, you are a male. It's like, well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I saw a TikTok where this uh, scientist was breaking down gender, and I think he said there are, at the very minimum, 27 genders. Yeah. Because you can be born XY, XX, mm-hmm. or XY itself, or XXY, or XXX, or you can be born XY and the Y is broken. Yeah, um, yeah, You can yeah. be born XY and then later on develop estrogen-producing hormones mm-hmm. um, that way overproduce estrogen, right. which changes your physicality. You can be born XX and produce too much testosterone. Your hormones can be out of whack. And then on top of all of that, there's chemicals in your brain that are more male and more right. female chemicals. And you can be born male and produce more female chemicals and be produce more female as a male. It, all kinds of craziness. Like, bare minimum, just by the math and the numbers of you can be born this way with these variants right. and this way with these variants. It was like 27 minimum. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, don't even get me started on this, this, this. <laughs> like, it's insane how 
vast of a spectrum sexuality really right. is and how how very dumb it is to try to put them into just two boxes. Exactly. Hey guys, these two boxes come from a very simple understanding. The same way we talked about with the Bible, it comes from ancient understandings of these things. But... As you move on and you gain informa- more information, you learn new things. You learn how to describe things better. You learn to broaden your understanding of what it means to be male or female or non-binary. And yeah. so, um, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it at the bare minimum. It's not. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. So, for those of you who are Christians, if let's say you just totally disagree with everything we just said. I beg you to consider two things. One, consider that God is the ultimate provider of choice. That even though he loves you unconditionally, he doesn't force anything on you. That's something that I remember being taught all the time. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, God's a gentleman. God's not going to alter your free will. Yeah. And so in the same manner, we should respect other people's choices at the bare minimum. Even if you don't agree with it, that's that's if, if you're a Christian, by that logic, by that mindset, you should do the same thing. And then number two, consider what it truly means to love your neighbor as yourself, to respect someone's preferences, to be called by their chosen pronouns. It doesn't actually do any harm. And for those of you, for those of you guys who might be wondering, well, or it just might reinforce their beliefs, homie, your objections won't help either. Yeah, like <laughs> if they are, if they're already telling you, "Hey, I was born as a, a male, but I would prefer she/her pronouns," they've made that decision. Yeah. Yeah, you're they not going to change care. their mind. <laughs> you're not going to be, well, I'm not doing it. And they're, oh, you're right. Sorry, I, I am a male. Like, yeah. No, that's not going to change anything. It's like, it's like All sa- you're doing is hurting them. Yeah, yeah. It's like the same mindset, too. It's like you feel, you feel like you're not participating in the system. It's like those are the same kind of people that argue about the government. Like, oh, the government just wants to, you know, get into our, you know, track us through this this vaccine. Like, homie, they track you through your phone, bro. They don't need that. <laughs> are, are you posting this on Facebook via your smartphone? <laughs> Bro, uh, let's move on. Um, yeah, sorry that the whole gender binary thing is just—it's one of those things that I believed when I was really young, and now I look back and I'm like, dude, you're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you're well, so stupid. Like, just, just at the why b- would you pick that as a hill to die on? Right. Exactly. It, it, that doesn't affect you. Yeah. It might in the future. Who knows? Yeah. Gender's a spectrum. Could affect me later. <laughs> I don't know. But it doesn't now. Yeah. It didn't then. Why was I fighting so hard against these things? Like, uh, It's fear. That's exactly what it was. We, it, it we, was the we, culture. we fear what we don't understand. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Moving um, on. Let's talk about marriage um, as far marriage. as the LGBTQ community goes. Uh, so we hear all the time, God's intention for marriage is perfectly and clearly presented in the Bible. <sighs> Are you ready for this? I'm, I'm, Was I'm, it though? I'm, I'm so ready for Was this. Was it though? <laughs> um, let's go ahead and look at some of these uh, marriages that were in the Bible. <laughs> Biblical marriages, guys. So the way that God intended. Yeah. You know, like Esau and his three wives or Jacob and his two wives with like 14 kids where mm. he absolutely played favorites. <laughs> um, David and his at least seven wives. Solomon and his 700 wives. Let's talk about that for a second. I can barely, like, handle just being married to one wife. There's a lot of emotional labor that goes into it. There's a lot of physical labor that goes into it. I am very often wrong. I could not imagine 
700. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, um, Deuteronomy 17, 17, the Lord commands the king not to have too many wives. Right. Not that he says just one. Yes. Just eh, not too many. <laughs> it's like, God, how many wives can I have? Yeah. Uh, a few. <laughs> Whatever. A handful is fine. Pick a handful of wives. Oh, my God. Um, some of the other ones, like one that always kills me is like the father of our faith, Abraham. Yeah. He was married and also allowed to have sex with his wife's handmaid, mm-hmm. which is like definitely Gilead style in the handmaid's yeah. tale thing going on. It, it got, God wasn't mad at the fact that he had sex with his with that woman. It was the fact that he was trying to cheat the system by yeah. trying to have a baby God, through another he was woman. Like, I just told you if you would be patient, right. I'll give you dinner. <laughs> but he was going around trying to find the cookies in the, the <laughs> snack drawer. <sighs> okay. Then he got diabetes because that didn't work out for him. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so let's back to these other biblical marriages. Uh, Genesis 34, Jacob and his sons actually made a deal with his daughter's rapist to marry her in the event that all of the men from that tribe circumcised themselves. This is wild. Bro, if somebody raped my daughter, I would not care if they circumcised the whole village. I would murder him. I would probably circumcise him myself and then strangle him with his own missing pieces. Now, guys, for for because I because this was me for those who are like, well, that was just the culture of the day. Yeah, that God allowed to happen. God did not correct. <laughs> we're gonna leave that one there. Uh-huh. Also, no, no, we're not gonna leave that one there because if that's the culture of the day, this is the culture of today. Oh yeah. So if it's okay for them to do that because it's their culture, why is it not okay for us to do this because it's our culture? Ding ding ding. Moving on. Now we're moving on. Um, how let's talk about how it was culturally appropriate for daughters to be used as bargaining chips between two tribes. Yep. And not just like the ancient marriage contracts where it's like, oh, my son will marry your daughter and they will sire many children and we shall share upon the land of <laughs> Wessex. <laughs> no, they were like, yo, um, I'll give you two of my daughters for four or five of your oxen and yep. six acres of the land over there. And you can do whatever you want with her. Yeah. Like, as a slave, as a wife, I don't care. You just take her. Yeah. Like, they just threw women at other tribes, and they would take them as marriage, and that was considered biblical marriage. Yeah. There are rules in the Bible on how to do that. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, how God allowed fathers to sell their daughters off as concubines. So not even to be married, just to be sexual figures in some rich person's house. Yep. Yep. This is all biblical. There are rules from God on how to do this. Exodus 21, guys. Go look it up. Oof. Don't. Man, I'm, I'm getting heated. I'm going to need you to handle this. One. All right. So, sure. Paul states a few times in his letters that the church lawyer should be the husband of one wife, but actually he actually actually even goes further in some other cases to say that people shouldn't be married at all. Um, and you might make the case that these actions were not God's intentions, and I would probably agree with you on that, but that's not the argument here whether or not if it's in, in the New Covenant or whatever. The fact is, quote, the original biblical marriage is at best not clean or as simple as I and many other Christians were brought up to believe. That, that's the bottom line here. It's not simple. It's not this black and white, clear, God gave us this perfect example of what it means to be married to another person. It's not that simple. It really isn't. Um, so I would like to take a moment to address a thought that popped up while going over all this. While this might seem like an attack on God's plan for marriage or God himself, this is the point that we're trying to make last week. 
the Bible was written in an ancient culture that carried out ancient, barbaric, weird, and even evil practices by our standards today that seems completely normal to them. This can mean for us today that we can begin to at least address that some of those practices and, quote, values just might be an ancient people's understanding of what, quote, is good and evil. If you eat shrimp or pork, (laughs) I don't want to hear nothing from you. So, which leads us to this next little topic, homosexuality. So, I want to share a quick story. I'm going to try to go through this quickly about my, me, Tim, personal experience experience in the church and with the L3T community. Any names that we use, we have permission. Correct. And actually, I won't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up a little bit. Um, but during my Names decon- have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> yes. Uh, during my deconstruction, one of the first things that started to trouble me was the why. I think I mentioned that in the first episode. Um, and this was no different when it came to the LGBTQ community. So as I began to listen to more people and began to hear from those in the LGBTQIA community, there were uh, there were Christians that even still that had a high view of Scripture, like within the LGBTQ community, and that was like, well, wait a second, I thought that was the other side of the spectrum. So everyone I heard from in that community always spoke with such purpose and heaviness at the same time. Their stories carried heavy weight and deliberate love. So. There, there are some thoughts that I had while working at the church that, you know, while I was still trying to figure this out, I knew that even if I considered it sin, that I knew that we weren't handling it the right way. I knew that, especially in our church particularly, well, in our leader particularly, he treated this sin more greatly, with more intensity, with more, um, he won't use the word, but I'll use it, hatred than any other sin. Yeah. He... um he 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 made jokes on their behalf. He he picked on them the most. He it infuriated me. One of the things that was mentioned twice in our uh, church's um, kind of like you become a member curriculum thing that you would go to. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was mentioned twice as something that you definitely can't do was homosexuality. Yeah, it's things like that that homophobia is a word that's been used for a long time but i heard another uh, lgbtq creator use the term homo hatred Mm. and that seems more apt yeah yeah one of the first struggles i had was with jesus words in luke 7 where he talks about to bear good fruit obviously if if you're if you bear good fruit that means you must come from a good tree and vice versa so obviously I know there, there can be exceptions, like pastors seem to bear good fruit, but they have hidden sins, obviously. But when I saw people within our own church who not only knew more than others about the Bible, but actually mirrored Jesus better, it infuriated me that they couldn't do the bare minimum of serving within the church. And there was one particular example that I'll share, and uh, this person, who shall not go named, uh, they did give me permission to share the story, but uh, I'm not going to mention their name, um, they, this person was probably the most sincere, loving person, student at the time, uh, that we had. They they loved people. They served diligently. They 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 truly mirrored the love of Jesus. It came to my attention um, that they were dating someone of the same gender, same sex, and um, and so I had an ultimatum at this moment. And during this time, I was still on the fence about the whole thing. 
uh, about whether I thought it was a sin or not. But either way, it came to me to make a decision about what to do next because the higher-ups were going to find out, and they knew that I would allow someone to serve, then it was going to be you know, yeah. hell to pay. So I had to have a sit-down conversation with this person and tell them why they couldn't just help. Never in my life, <laughs> never in my life have I felt more shitty, <laughs> like a horrible human piece of trash than in that moment, I think. A person who just wants to share their love for people, from God, and yet we can't let them just serve. We can take their tithe, we can take their money, but we, we can't let them serve. What utter <laughs> hypocrisy. And so, <laughs> as we move on in this, uh, <laughs> in this topic, you're going you're gonna to hear me a little heated. Yeah. <laughs> you and me both. Um, so from that point on, it was pretty easy for me to look at the church's stances on LGBTQ and to be more critical about them after this. Um. So to get started, I want to give off a few insights into the ancient world that I read both in Matthew Vine's book uh, called God and the Gay Christian, but also um, some that overlap with things that I've read and listened to. He just explains it a lot better than I ever could. So two things before we move on regarding homosexuality. Number one, and this is probably the most important part about this whole topic, the ancient world was built built around patriarchy and misogyny. Period. Men were superior in every single way. And just as importantly, they should act as such. And more on what those actions look like later. And number two, there was no label for same-sex attraction. There was no word for it. In fact, the word homosexual doesn't actually even appear in the Bible. You can go look up the the movie that's coming out in 1948 to figure out more about that. Um, But just keep those two things in mind as we move forward in this conversation. Yeah. Um, so, ironically, we used to have rules at Grace Christian called <laughs> the Big Six. I was thinking about that. Um, so we're actually going to dive into this a little bit using that, the irony. Um, we got a lot of these points, like Tim said, from the book uh, by Matthew Vines, God and the Gay Christian, which we highly recommend for all biblical inerrantists out there. Uh, but these are the passages that we and so many other Christian leaders have used to defend the church's view on Christian homosexuality. Uh, sorry, view on homosexuality. Yeah. Um, keep this in mind, during the actual time and writing of the Bible, which was over the course of thousands of years, men were viewed as superior to women in every way. Tim just mentioned that. Um, so we're going to definitely dive into this a little bit. Um, this was definitely true in the Jewish culture and the Greco-Roman culture, which would influence the New Testament Jews as well. Yeah. Uh, this is important to remember as we move on. Again, it's very important that you remember this because <laughs> this is the backdrop of everything. Yeah. This is where everything comes from. Yeah. All right. So Genesis 19, 4 through 11, talking about Sodom. You guys know the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, point one, did you know that after this story, Sodom is mentioned eight times in the New Testament? And not one time is it referring to same-sex relationships. doesn't even come up. Not at all. Yep. It doesn't say it's sinful or good. It just doesn't talk about it. Yep. Um, to speed things up, the sin of Sodom was not actually homosexuality. It is mostly attributed to how they treated foreigners and newcomers. In other words, their lack of hospitality. Also, their immense wealth distribution right. problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the 
rich were way too rich and the poor were way too poor. Sound familiar? Yeah. Hmm. Um, here's a quote from Matthew Vines regarding this. So Jeremiah declared that the adultery, idolatry, and the power abuses of false prophets rendered them all like Sodom, uh, which you can see in Jeremiah 23.14, which says, um, sorry, Jeremiah 23.14 after Jerusalem's fall to Babylonia, the writer of Lamentations said that the punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom. Uh, for six, Amos and Zephaniah also invoke Sodom to describe God's judgment on those who oppress the poor or exhibit prideful and mocking behaviors. Amos 4, 1 through 11 and Zephaniah 2, 8 through 11. So there's a lot of biblical references to Sodom and Gomorrah, or specifically Sodom. Um, not many of them reference the homosexuality aspect that everybody likes to yep. talk about, though. Nope. Okay, so I'm going to put these next two together. Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. And it's, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will also will be on their own uh, on their own heads. Side note. There was a death penalty for males who engage in same-sex relations, but not women. It, like, the death penalty was for male-on-male action, but nothing about women-on-women action. Yeah. I wonder why. Again. Patriarchy. <laughs> first note, this is also in the same area of Scripture that forbids eating of shellfish, having sex with your wife during her menstrual period, and death penalties to children who disobey their parents. So, again, I beg to ask the obvious question— why do we choose some of these to follow over others? Because the others are too inconvenient. But if you've been a Christian for any time, um, and this is about the time that you'll pull out the, you know, that's all the Old Testament. That's not the, you know, that's the Old Covenant. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the New Covenant. Let's talk about things about how, just how highly these things were viewed or, you know, respected. In Acts 15, the early church decided that Gentile Christians were not bound to follow the law of the Old Testament, which with four exceptions. This is found in Acts uh, 15, 29. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols, blood meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Uh, wait, hold on. With four exceptions. Blood sacrificed to idols, food sacrificed to idols, blood, comma, Meat uh, of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. However, that was a generic term, the sexual immorality. It's not specific. But even some of those were changed. In 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, Paul reverses this decision and states that there is no food unclean for Christians, including food sacrificed to idols. And also keep in mind, this is the perfect example of rather God changing his mind about something, which implies that other things can change too, or that men can change the meaning, meaning of what is sinful. Mm. It has to be one or the other. There's no other option. In Hebrews 8, the author says about God, quote, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear, end quote. And as Matthew Vines says, quote, this doesn't sound like an endorsement of the law's ongoing authority, does it? See, that's what I've always said. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, I agree with that 100%. But what he is the same in is being a God of covenant. Yeah. If he makes a promise, he's going to hold that promise. He's a promise keeper. That's exactly what it is. So these are the kind of debates and uncertainty the early leaders of the Christian church were having. They were very, there were very few thus saith the Lord moments where God tells these new Christians which laws are going to be gone or which ones they're going to keep. Many, if not most, were debated. There was no mm -hmm. clear answer. Mm -hmm. So 
Now, again, I hear a lot of my non-affirming Christians thinking of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, stating that he came to fulfill the law. To that point, I would agree. Jesus came to be the end all of the law with the fulfillment of the two greatest laws, love God and love others. And let's talk about the word abomination here in Leviticus. You want, you want to know what other things were called an abomination in the Old Testament? Tell us, Tim. Sexual relations during a woman's menstrual period. Leviticus 18.19, charging interest on loans. I still agree with that one. <laughs> Ezekiel 18.13, wait, loans? Yeah, loans. Okay. Um, eating pork or shellfish, Deuteronomy 14, all these things. Literally one of my favorite things to do is to eat shrimp and pork. Yeah. Like, those are my two, or actually mussels and pork are my two favorite meals, but shrimp is definitely up there. It's an abomination, Chris. Abomination. Aww. As Matthew makes clear in the fifth chapter of his book, there are many things that seem extreme to us, such as the death penalty for disobeying your parents, because there was a different context to their culture that we just simply don't fully comprehend and, quite honestly, never will. Which brings us back to the main question at hand. Why did the law prohibit same-sex relations between men but not women here, particularly in this verse? This brings us to the patriarchal view of men at the time. Men were the superiors. They had the social standing, and with that came standards. As Matthew points out, uh, in Philo, of, is that how you say it? Philo? Philo? I truly don't know. He's a, he was a... Uh, uh, I, I think Philo, but I'm not positive. He was a Jewish leader and scholar and philosopher in the first century. Um, in his commentary about the this passage of Scripture, he directs his outrage, quote, at the thought that males might suffer the, affic- the affliction of being treated like women. Getting the picture here? Philo also called the passive male partner a, quote, male uh, man-woman who adulterates the precious coinage of his nature, end quote. And to the active partner, quote, a guide and teacher of those greatest of all evils, unmanliness and effeminacy, thank you, end quote. In other words, just in case you didn't get the picture here, guys, the sin was not between a um, a, a monogamous, loving uh, relation between you know um, uh, two uh, LGBTQ whoever people. That was not the sin here. The sin was in the modern, uh, in the ancient day. Their understanding is that if you were a man, you had to be the superior, and to take on any kind of lesser role, which they viewed women as a lesser, that was an abomination. Yeah. So it it's kind of like that whole like, well, if you're in a gay relationship, who's the girl? Like that's yeah, that, yeah. That's that mentality. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Um, <sighs> Let's move on. Romans one twenty six through twenty seven. Because of this, referring to idol worship, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Mm. Um, this is actually one that, when I initially started defending LGBTQ people instead of being anti-LGBTQ, which again, sorry. Um, This is one of the verses that somebody very close to me kept using. Oh, yeah, because it's the New Testament. Yeah, Yeah. as a a weapon, basically. Right. Um, What is the real issue here, though? Same-sex monogamous relationships, or is it lust? Uh Uh-huh. Because, again, going through my deconstruction, my question was why? Why would Paul say this? Why not Jesus? Yeah. Um, Which I have my own issues with Paul. (laughs) Um, And this may seem like something that many Christians might complain and roll their eyes about, but this is a question that comes up very quickly among them 
when the authors in Titus, Timothy, Colossians, Ephesians, and First Peter all tell their slaves to submit to their masters. Come on. These are the same people that are like, hey, if you're a slave, just suck it up and be a slave. Yeah. Do you really want to listen to everything they say? Well, well, actually, that's that was just their context. They just had slaves back then. Okay, have, really? you, ever, have you ever quit a job? <laughs> if you've ever quit a job, I don't want to hear nothing from you. Yeah. So there you go. There's that. Um, now, this is where I'm going to quote Matthew Vines. Same-sex relationships were widely understood to be the product of excessive sexual desire in general. It was a reflection of widespread cultural practices that differed greatly from modern ones. The most common forms of same-sex behavior in the Greco-Roman world were pederasty. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. uh, Prostitution and sex between masters and slaves. The majority of men who indulged in these practices also engaged in heterosexual behavior as well, and often during during the same time in their lives. So these are men that were typically married to women, yeah. but they had power over other men, and they asserted that through sex. Right. So if you're a teacher and you have a young student that you want to control every aspect of his life, a way to abuse that power that was cultural and wouldn't get you in trouble would be sex. Right. But it was biblically very, very wrong. Yeah. Um. So – all of that to say, Paul's words fit into his and the original reader's understanding of what most same-sex experience looked like at the time. Yeah, It was associated around a general systemic theme of excess and power abuse. And obviously, this is something we've read up on, changed our views a lot. Mm-hmm. So we could go on and on forever, but you get it. Yeah. it. It was a power thing. It wasn't a sexual, monogamous, loving relationship thing. And, and before we continue on, just one quick thing, because I know because people are going to say this, is when Paul's talking about the word nature here, like it's against human nature, think about the word custom. Like That's what he meant. Like this was the custom of the day. So it's basically saying this was against the culture. This was against the custom of the day. He's not saying it's literally unnatural as in it doesn't exist or it can't, you can't do it. It's just this is not the custom of the day. Because it's very natural. Obviously, there are animals yeah. in the wild that do it. Homie. Okay. Continuing on, um, we'll try to speed through the rest of these. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, I cannot speak today, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, shall enter the kingdom of God. So I'll keep this one short. Effeminate is a Greek word meaning soft, and its moral implication is that men of the day shouldn't be soft or feminine because women were viewed as lesser then men. See how purity culture seeps into even this. <sighs> Abusers of themselves with mankind comes from another Greek word. Uh, I'm not even trying to pronounce. Arsino- oh, I know this word. Ar- arsino- uh, ugh, it's a Greek word. You can do it. Arsino- arsino- oh, I can't do it. You say it. I know you know Arsenokoitai. it. Yeah, which is a compound word that combines men and bed. This could be a reference to the male-on-male relationships, though Matthew points out this isn't always foolproof as words often are combined like the word understand. Like it's not literally meaning under and stand, but yeah, you get yeah. what I mean. But even if it does again mean that, the most common forms of same-sex behavior in the ancient world was pederity, prostitution, and same and sex between slaves and masters. So the same logic applies to First Timothy, and so yeah, we'll just keep keep going. Next up, last one. Uh, Matthew nineteen one through two. 
So this is a passage where Jesus reads off Genesis and talks about the unification of man and woman. And the argument is there's a reminder that God's intention for marriage was between a man and a woman. Uh, but to be frank, that's downright kooky dukes. <laughs> um, just because he didn't mention other types of relationships doesn't mean he was rejecting homosexual ones, nor does it imply that that was the original design. Uh, by that logic, you should never consume anything that God didn't directly create or affirm. I mean, phones, technology. Internet. Shouldn't be listening to this podcast for sure. Turn it off. <laughs> no. Um, clothing. Well, no, clothing. God made clothing. Not directly. After sin. Yeah, he killed the lamb for Adam and Eve. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. cover them. Um, clothing made out of plants, though. You can't wear that because Adam and Eve made those. Yeah. God made wool. True. So, there you go. So, we'll wrap this up by saying, for Christians with non-affirming beliefs, at the bare minimum, it's about choice. It's about choice and equality. What I remember growing up, I think I mentioned earlier, is things like God loves you, but he's a gentleman. He won't force anything on you. We need to have the same mindset when it comes to our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQI community. Even if you don't affirm, which I hope you do, but even if you don't, it comes down to choice. We need to respect our neighbors. We need to respect their choices. We need to respect who they are. As long as it is not physically abusing other people, you can respect them. Yeah. You respect their choices. Because regardless of what Christians think, y'all are not being persecuted. No. We God. we are not. Y'all don't know what persecution is if you think Christians are being persecuted nowadays. Um, these people don't care what you do. <laughs> if you want to be a Christian and be married to the opposite gender and have children, that's fine. Yeah. That's all on you. They just, it's important that they have the same options. Right. To do what they want to do. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, do your own thing. Yeah. So we're going to end it there because we've talked for an hour and four minutes, according to my clock. We'll probably edit a little bit out. A little. It'll, it'll be pretty close. Um, but guys, we... we I'm going to say again what Chris said. We apologize, both of us, for for being a part of and for teaching some of this really horrible, horrific, toxic, unhealthy rhetoric and culture. We, uh, I'll speak for myself, it, it took a while getting here. Um, and it took a while for me to recognize not just the, the theology behind all of it, but just to recognize the, here, the the sheer human part about it all is that you have a community of people who have been marginalized, who have been hurt, who have been shunned, who have been forced to go into to, to gay shock therapy. Is that what it's called? Conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. <laughs> you talk about persecution. This is a community that has been through persecution. Still going through it. And... At the bare minimum, we should be rooting for these people. We should be speaking up for these people. We should be opening up our arms. We should be we should be embracing them because they're human. For God's sakes, they're just they're just human. They're they're not your enemy. They're they're not against you. They're not even they. They are us. Yeah. We can we can differ on theology. We can differ on these talking points and 
And again, the reason why I went through those, we, we brought out those six passages, was not to try to convince you, but to share things that we've learned and share, hey, you might not even know this, because we didn't <laughs> for yeah. the longest time. But we hope that from here on out, I know Chris has already, but on my end, um, I want to be I want to be clear that I'm I'm affirming, yeah. and I want to be an ally, absolutely, and I and I want to and I want people to know that they have someone, <laughs> they'll have someone that that will be rooting for them, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I do want to say uh, one of the best examples I've ever seen of a romantic relationship of the love of God just permeating through a relationship. One of the best examples I've ever seen was the bosses that I had at in on the Creek, uh, Will and Chris, Mm. they were by far some of the most loving people you could ever meet. If you needed anything, you could ask them and they'd be there. They took care of their employees. They took care of their business uh, one of them was a doctor. Uh, he was like the head of the pulmonary division at Scott and White, I think, for a while. And seeing their relationship, I don't understand how people can hate the yeah. LGBTQ community. Yeah, it just blows my mind. They're human. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, sorry that, like I said, it's a trigger. That trigger warning was actually for us as well at the beginning (laughs) of the episode. Uh, We're going to head off to break right now. Stick around. We've got a couple more things to go over. And as always, we want to end it on a positive note. So stick with us. We're back, everybody. Thank you for hanging out with us. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you if you're still in this. Thank you for sticking around and uh, being a part of this discussion. And Chris, do you? Um, <laughs> whenever I was a kid, and um, again, I, I was always a little heated when it came to like wanting to have arguments and stuff. And so whenever me and my dad started to fight about something and argue, I say fight, we didn't physically fight. He was not abusive. Um, but whenever we began to argue about something, if it, if it really got intense. I would just start crying. Like, even if I was mad, even if I was just furious at him for something, if once we started arguing, I just started bawling. And that's how I kind of, like, that's just this, this sobby, the, my, how my nose is right now and how my eyes are right now just kind of reminds me of all that. And just Between that and the allergies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, yeah, getting punched. No, I, I used to do that, too. Okay. <laughs> still kind of sometimes every now and then it'll... Like, I'm supposed to be mad at you. You're not supposed to see me cry. Yeah, That's not like, manly. It's like an emotional trigger, like in the uh, back of your head from mm-hmm. childhood. Yeah. Yep. Um. All right. So, like we did last week, we wanted to share um, a story. Uh, someone sent us uh, one of their um, uh, the testimony, and <laughs> uh, something that we want to share with you today. Um, again, we're going to cover up the name, uh, which I don't think they actually put it in there, but uh, we're just going to share it real quick. Uh, they said, hi guys, so I've been following your podcast from the beginning, but this deconstruction series w- has definitely spoken to me. I grew up in the church pretty much since I was born. We left a church when I was a baby due to an issue with leadership, but we've been in a church pretty consistently since. 
My parents were very big on volunteering when they could, and I've gone through everything from church nursery to Sunday school to Awana. Do you know what that is? Yeah, it's kind of like a uh, Bible, oh, what do they call them, Bible camps? Not Bible camp. Um, it's something religious. Vacation Bible school. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, to church camp up through when I graduated high school. Like you guys, I didn't have a bad church experience as a kid. It was more so when I was started getting older and started noticing issues that came up through the church. One of the biggest issues I saw, um, I guess a more specific issue with people of the LGBTQIA community, there was an avid church uh, goer that was gay, and they went to church with their family, and whenever they were at church, everyone in leadership was very welcoming and loving to their face. But whenever they were not there, um, whenever th- there was an issue that involved them, there was a sermon. Sorry, I'm, I misspoke. Whenever there was an issue that involved them, there was a sermon or message that ended up being centered upon being gay, um, being an awful thing, and how they were doomed to hell, and they were just overall bad people. Um, and, and another experience was during, I believe, a discipleship class, there was a statement made by one of the head pastors that, quote, the legalization of same-sex marriage was not about love. It was an attack on the Christian church, end quote. And having had a same-sex relationship previously, this was very disheartening and invalidating because I had been told the same thing by my parents. Thank you all so much for sharing your experiences, and I'm so sorry you all went through these things. This really just helps to validate the feelings, the feeling I had. Even when most people in the church community told me I was very veering off the path or steering away from God, I'm hearing from the things y'all testify on, and at one point I had a lot of the same thoughts and views. Keep what you're, uh, keep what you're doing, guys. It really speaks to people. Man, again, I, I shared this in a video the other day on our social. Another person apologizing who had nothing to do with our hurt and pain. And yet, this is the kind of love that we need to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for um, giving us a little bit of, of your story. And we are sorry for any pain and hurt that you have experienced throughout the church and oh, throughout sure. Christianity. And um, we, we, we know that your, your story matters and that your experience matters. And so... Um, we validate you and we affirm you. All right. Um, I think next we should, like I said, we, we always want to end on a positive note. So let's focus on some positives that we see. Yeah, because granted, a lot of this is heavy, but we've, we've, there are some positive trends that are coming now. Some really positive things. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, more people are speaking out. Yes. Which is making the church either have to do better or crumble. Right. Well, there's actually a um, an Instagram profile I follow called Do Church Better, and they actually share, um, they actually call out things that people experience within a church, nice. and they, like, call people out and call churches out. Like, so, no, you're going to be accountable for your words. Yeah. And so, that's awesome. Like, we need that. We need accountability. Um, actually, I, would, I told you recently that, um, I think I sent you the TikTok, actually, uh, Grace Baldridge went to a Switchfoot concert. Oh yes, I love and, that. Uh, they want they wanted to like scream out gay rights and get the whole crowd chanting. Obviously, that didn't happen because it's a concert. Loud, yeah. Uh, but John Foreman actually responded to her. Yeah, and he was like, "Yo, we're absolutely affirm- affirming." Yeah, yeah. Like, we love you. We love your stories. We may not agree on everything. We may not have the same experiences, but we are here for you, and right. we definitely affirm. And that's really cool because that's like your favorite band. Yeah, I know. I so know. it's good to know they're not as problematic as a lot of the <laughs> other cultural uh, anchors there. Right. 
Um, so we've got a new generation coming up. Yeah. They're going to be the ones in charge eventually. And Praise be. Almost overwhelmingly from my experience. And stats. And statistics, yeah. Um, they are very affirming and supporting. Right. Like it, and if they're not, they just don't have an opinion on it. Yeah. It's not like they're super against it. Like, okay, yeah. cool. Do you. Yeah. So that's really nice. Uh, gender roles are becoming less mainstream. Yeah. Like this. Uh, mention the Pew Research. I want to mention the Pew Research. Yeah, this was from like our, was it Millennial Father episode, I think? I think so. Like 97% of fathers now do diaper changes as opposed to back in 82 where it was like 40%. Um, it's crazy. They'd never done any diapers outside of that. Like that's insane. Yeah. Um, but like when it comes to purity culture and LGBTQ, those lines are kind of fading away. Right. Yeah. It's not such a hard, like, okay, as a man, you have to do this. You have to do that. As a woman, you have to do this. You have to do that. A lot of that stuff is now being called out and being washed in the blood of Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Women are becoming more of a voice within the church. I love seeing, like, women pastors um, or even non-binary pastors. Those are really cool to see, too. You don't see a whole lot of them, uh, but they're out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know, like, Jeff from the Chosen Family Church Mm -hmm. um, is a really cool one that I follow on TikTok. Um, So it's really cool to see that um, pastors like Abby Smith seeing uh, female leadership in churches. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then LGBTQ rights are being passed and respected which, again, referencing the stat from the beginning, Republicans are now at 55% supporting those yeah. kinds of things, which is a huge jump from the last few years. Right, so, yeah. that's really cool. Um, let's talk about resources, too. And, Chris, if you don't mind continuing this, because um, we, we got some things that we can share both in this. Yeah, so we have um, – what we have listed in our show notes isn't all there is, obviously. We've got a lot of other resources. You can always reach out and call us and find out. <laughs> uh, this is not where we get all of our theology and understanding. This is just some highly recommended sources that we believe give a clearer, clearer er. look into how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Um, again, it's not everything. It, it, and even what, even what this podcast, this series is, it's, it's basically a summarizing down of a lot of what we learned. So obviously, it's not going to... There's books about these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some recommendations from me. Obviously, we, we shared a lot from this today, but God in the Gate Christian by Matthew Vines. Um, uh, another book called Church 2 by Emily Joy Allison, which speaks on to the purity culture, especially um, concerning like the Me Too movement. And um, I highly, highly recommend that. And then also uh, the, the artist that Chris was just talking about, Semler. 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 Semler, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you stole my reference. Ah, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's fine. So similar. Um, no, like I said just a second ago, though, uh, Jeff from Chosen Family Church is a really good one to follow. Um, I found a website that I really like for a specific church. It's St. Hugh of Lincoln Episcopal Church. And, like, right on their page, their homepage, God loves you, no exceptions. Yeah. And they have a, a section on their website that's, what does the Bible say about homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and being transgender? And they basically break it down into easy-to-understand, digestible little scripture blurbs of what the Bible actually says right. and a little breakdown of what that means. And it's really cool. God loves LGBTQ people on inclusion, on relationships, on gender, um, criteria by which God will evaluate our lives, all kinds of stuff. And then they have a whole list of references there at the bottom, which— 
I've gone through. <laughs> um, reference number one being Linda Tatro Herzer. I think I'm saying that right. Um, but it's kind of a similar in the vein as that book. It's called The Bible and the Transgender Experience, Ooh. How Scripture Supports Gender Variance. Nice. Um, so that's a pretty cool little breakdown read there as well. You can check all that stuff out. And I would recommend any one of the books here on this list. Um, also, Jesus Christ Feminist. Oh, I've heard that. Yes. That was a really good book. Um, Janelle has that on audiobook, so I've listened to that like twice now. Yeah. And that was a really good Is that Sarah Bessie, I think, or? Oh, you would ask me who the author Sorry. is. Sorry. I was just curious. If you don't know, it's fine. I but, don't know. Uh, and guys, we're going to include more than this in our show notes. Like we, Because there is always more than this. There is always more than this. <laughs> guys, we're, we're at the end of this episode. And um, again, we want to end this pod on the positive note. So this is probably one of the hardest subjects to talk about because it has affected so many people. From boys in schools being bullied for wearing effeminate colors to parents abandoning abandoning their outed children and women being abused spiritually and physically inside the very walls that should have been protecting them. Like it or not, disagree with the how and the why, this is where people have been greatly impacted by the church and its Christians. While we believe the church does have many problems regarding its modern theology, we also believe one of the greatest sins of the modern church has been going far and beyond to protect its leaders and done very little to speak up for its victims. Yeah. There's no way we or anyone else could provide all the answers, and though we believe the church as a whole has failed its purpose, we can also see a hope found in a generation that seems to care and speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so our hopes and prayers are in a new church and people who will care more about those without power and speak up for those who have no voice. That's what I got. That was beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> are you going to start writing some notes down, Chris? Eventually, yeah. <laughs> maybe at some point. Um, no, but seriously, guys, we just, again, want to thank you for joining us on this deconstruction journey because that's exactly what it is. It's yeah. a journey. Yep. It, it's not something that we have all the answers to. Right. We're just telling you guys where we are and where we see ourselves going and we hope you can join us for the ride. Yeah. So guys, we love you. Again, follow us, share, like, comment, all the fun things. Reach out to us. Share us your stories if you'd like. Uh, we love to hear them. And uh, Even if you don't want us to read them on yeah, the yeah, pod, please. you can tell us, hey, I want to share, but I don't want you to share this with anyone else. And, and I would That's always ask too. anyways, too. Yeah. We we love to hear your stories, though. We love to be in communication with you guys. Yeah. Um, so with that note, we love you guys, and we'll see you all next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Deconstruction Series on the Always More podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, comment, and share this wherever you listen to us. Be sure to check out our resources and recommendations in the show notes for both this episode and episodes to come. And lastly, don't forget to listen in to our Deconstruction playlist on Spotify that can also be found in our show notes. Thank you, and see you next time.